0: Welcome to the Bartek Podcast.
1: Today we're going to discuss marketing in the retail and fashion industry. Joining us is Steve Hartman, who is a digital and retail executive, advisor, and investor. With over 20 years of experience spanning retail, general management, marketing, and technology, with a strong focus on creating breakthrough customer experiences, building brands, and developing successful global organizations, Steve has led marketing at a variety of well-established retail brands, including Urban Outfitters, Eddie Bauer, Windsor Fashion, and hey, we also worked together a long time ago at eBay. And today, Steve and I are going to discuss some of the recent trends and changes in the retail industry. All right, on with my conversation with Steve Hartman, Digital and Retail Executive Advisor and Investor. Steve, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Ben, great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. It's great to see you again. It's been, God, has it been 10 or 15 years since we worked together at eBay?
2: It's been longer than I care to admit, actually.
1: (laughs) I said this offline, you look exactly the same to me. Let's just pretend we all look like we did 15 years ago, and it's great to catch up.
2: It's so great to catch up with you, Ben. Always great talking with you.
1: So, you know, we work together in the internet marketing department. You, I think, were managing the advertising team. You had some cross-functional roles within eBay. And I went off and decided to, you know, run some piddling startup and then run the marketing department for some other early stage companies. Next thing I know, I blink and you're like running marketing departments at these really big fashion brands. How did you, first off, make the jump from e-commerce and advertising to running the entire marketing department at the Urban Outfitters, Eddie Bowers, Windsor Fashion, really like large publicly traded companies?
2: It was a really interesting transition for me. At eBay, you know, I was running advertising on the site for a while, which was really great as we're building out an advertising platform on eBay and figuring that out, what that looked like there. And then transitioned, I think it was after you left, uh, transitioned over to run eBay Partner Network, our affiliate channel. And that was, you know, first time really running a marketing channel. And obviously, the scale at eBay is huge. And we had, I think over 120,000 affiliates in 70 countries. So managing that, and luckily I had a really great team working with there, as you know. Everybody
1: there was amazing in the marketing department. The eBay alumni is strong on the MarTech podcast.
2: Yeah, it's such a great group. So I had that experience of running one large channel at eBay, and then kind of went smaller and broader and went into, of all things, the self-storage world. I said, someday I'll write a memoir called Two Years in Storage. But (laughs) I spent about two years at a company called CubeSmart. And there got a really broad experience running direct response TV campaigns, owning all the digital channels, actually rebranding the company. So that was one that kind of set me up for then taking that broader experience and then going into some other companies and made my way into Urban Outfitters through another ex-eBay friend who worked there who helped recruit me in. And jumped in on the deep end, managing all of marketing for the Urban Outfitters brand. And one of the keys for me was really surrounding myself, being able to learn from the people who are around me, and then reaching out to mentors and asking them the questions that I didn't know, and just being open to learn and aware of what I didn't know at the time.
1: So, you started working in the retail fashion industry really before there was kind of a step level shift. Obviously, Amazon has risen to prominence in e commerce. And Facebook has also become a larger player in terms of how we discover new brands. It seems like there was this shift from, hey, I'm going to go to a mall and I'm going to go to the stores that I like and I'm going to buy the clothes and then I'm going to wear them out of the store and I'm going to feel good about myself to now the standard seems to be maybe I'll go to a store every once in a while, but most of the time I'm either going to find new brands using social media or I just you know, am on somebody's email list and I'm going to become a repeat customer. Talk to me about what has changed in the fashion industry in terms of how we buy and the customer's behavior from when you started in the industry working for Urban Outfitters to what you're seeing today.
2: It's been a really fascinating transition to be a part of. When I started at Urban Outfitters, it was 2011. So, you know, kind of before this vast, rapid change that we have right now. And Urban Outfitters also came from a space. And many of the traditional bricks and mortar retailers who have gone omni-channel have started from this place. of their store is their marketing. And that was really the kind of mindset when I got there. We were really just getting into building out a CRM system and really getting into digital marketing at the time. And the website was there for sales, you know, not as much for inspiration and for content and engagement. So that definitely shifted in the time that I was there, where we started thinking differently about all the content that we're putting out. What does it mean to have an app? Is it just about selling a product or is it about engaging the customer? How do those experiences come together as far as the offline and online and marrying those? And then also... Even within the retailers, traditionally, the e-commerce team and the store team were a little bit at odds because they each had sales numbers that they were trying to hit. So they're not acting like an omni-channel retailer. They're acting like two different channels. And I remember when I came in, my partner in stores, the first time we were meeting, and he was kind of joking, saying, Oh, so you're the new guy I'm going to fight with because I was running e-commerce and marketing. And I said, no, I don't think we should be fighting. You know, at the end of the day, the customer doesn't care if we have 2 PNLs. Like She just wants to have a great experience with us as a brand. And it's like, oh, that's great. We're going to get along awesome. And we did.
1: It's like, good answer, but I'm going to fight with you.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, we had a great relationship. And we saw e-commerce penetration going from you know low teens going up into the 20s, up to the 30s. And just seeing that evolution of how she's connecting with you. She's not just going to the store for the first time. She's doing her research online. It used to be starting searching Google and then Instagram started taking off and Facebook, obviously, then moving over to those channels and really getting her inspiration there. And now... With Instagram and influencers and really engaging there and making sure that you got a presence and you're inspiring her, that's really where it's shifted to. And it only has continued to be more rapid in the evolution. Obviously, this year has been dramatic from that perspective.
1: So you mentioned three things that I think are important to highlight. One, there is the notion of building out a CRM and understanding who your customers are, which wasn't always a retail or a fashion industry best practice. A lot of it was, boy, I hope I can drive foot traffic and somebody comes in, they give us their credit card and they walk out of the store. We never know who they are. And that's a practice that's changed. The marketing mix has changed as well, where you're starting to think, I mentioned before, email marketing and brand development, and in addition to sort of the direct sales model, And then there's the notion of the analytics that go into retail and fashion of when I serve an ad, how do I understand if that person is buying online? That seems like a pretty easy transition or coming in stores so you can evaluate the ROI of your marketing efforts. Walk me through the chicken or the egg problem. When you are approaching a new brand, you've done this a couple times You know, are you sitting there saying we need to get our CRM established first before we do our marketing? We need to figure out our omni-channel strategy, or are you figuring out what are the marketing channels that you need to establish first to get data?
2: It's a little situational, depending on where they're at and what the immediate priorities are from a brand perspective, and then trying to figure out also your managing resources. But first of all, as I think about marketing and retail, there's a couple of things that are really important. First is like knowing your customer and really being able to engage with her knowing your product, obviously, and then the relationship with the customer and the product, being able to plan and execute these truly compelling marketing campaigns and then being able to test and analyze and then iterate. And all this under this umbrella of innovation. And then it's really lining up your people, processes, and technology around each of those to make sure that you've got those all covered. So the most important thing, I think, is starting with understanding your customer. So having customer insights, because a lot of times retailers and traditional retailers may think they understand their customer, but they really have one lens to it, which might be the stores and the store associates. And you're not really getting this full view of who your customer really is.
1: To me, if I'm launching a new brand or you know, if I'm taking over a new retail business, what I'm hearing is you got to know your customers first, which means hey, you need that CRM system to be able to get data. And sure, you're going to have some qualitative data. You're going to do your ethnographic studies and interview your customers as much as you can. But you got to have that email capture and basically lead evaluation system set up. You have to have your CRM to understand who it is And then you need to be able to set up your omni-channel marketing to understand not only your e-commerce transactions, but also what the impact of your digital marketing is going to have on in-store sales. And then you start thinking about, all right, let's cultivate some marketing channels.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put that together. And you're absolutely right. I mean, otherwise, if you start the opposite way, you've got so much leakage and you don't really know what's going on. So to have the CRM and the analytics there, then sets you up to be effective with what you're doing with all of your marketing channels.
1: So let's talk a little bit about how the marketing mix has changed in fashion over the last decade. I, I mentioned that we've seen Facebook, and by that I mean the Facebook and Instagram, you know, social media come to prominence. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mix modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost effective. Request a demo at Mutinex.co. That's M U T I N E X.co. What was the standard marketing mix for a retail brand when you started this 10, 15 years ago? And what does it look like today?
2: The standard marketing mix was there was a lot of catalog was where a lot was being spent. You know, store marketing was definitely a big thing. And then while marketing, a lot from more search perspective. So I think that one of the bigger shifts is going from catalog, you know, store marketing that still has a place when she's out there, but you're spending less there. You're spending a lot less on catalog. And then search, a lot has shifted over to Facebook. So that's been, I think, the biggest shift is going to social. Search, obviously, definitely still spending a bunch there, but social has taken so much more prominence than it ever has in the past.
1: I noticed that there, whenever I you know find a new brand in social, in Facebook, Instagram, the first thing that happens, I click on whatever compelling product image they have, something about, you know, they, they give me a thumb stopping image, thumb stopping image. And something interesting pops up, and the first thing that happens is there is an email capture with a discount. And that seems to be a general best practice, which infers to me that if you can't understand who the customer is, if you can't retarget and remarket to them, they're not as valuable to you over time. Talk to me about building the brand. You're doing your marketing, your advertising, maybe not just direct response, but then also how you're remarketing and talking to the customer and building that relationship. It seems like that's something that's really important when you're talking about fashion because so much of it is brand and sort of image influenced.
2: First of all, you need to have really compelling content, and that's part of that innovation piece of... Do you have the engine within your brand to be able to create that or the agency partnership support to be able to do that? And then going out and building that brand, influencers are so big in that right now. And that's another big shift has been the rise of influencers. And you know, as these influencers are connecting with your customer and your customers connecting with them, then being able to leverage them with their personal brands and the ones that align with yours to be able to get your message out there so it's very important to have that kind of the brand messaging that you're putting out there, and then be able to follow that up with product messaging, especially within social, and then intermix the two. And then to your point, getting contact and then retargeting is absolutely essential to be able to get your customer in, be able to then reach her, go back out to her, and keep her engaged. And then understanding what products are the ones that are attracting new customers and being able to lean into those versus what might some of your top sellers be for return customers. So understanding your product as well, and then having that influence your marketing to attract new customers is absolutely important as well.
1: I've got a close friend who is launching, first off, doing her first experiment with entrepreneurship, and she's launching a kids fashion brand. And the premise is it's very much about sustainability. And so it's got a message for mom, but also, you know, the products are supposed to be compelling and interesting for the kids as well. And we talked a little bit about what are some of the marketing tactics that she should take on. And and my thought was go build your Shopify store, do your customer research, understand what are the products, you know, build your products for your customers. And then really, it's go find 100 email addresses from people that you think are in your target market, upload them into Facebook, target those people and create a lookalike audience off of them. And then you're basically retargeting the people that are driving conversions and creating a lookalike audience off of actual real data. Mm -hmm. Is it that simple? It seems a little like overly simplified to be like, find a product, go out and make it, make sure people like it and, you know, drop some ads into Facebook and start building retargeting audiences. It can't be that easy.
2: It's a great way to simplify it into something that's easily executable. I think one of the other things I'd layer onto that is if your core message is sustainability, and that's a good point on brand is, you know, what do you stand for? And what are the things that resonate with your customer and your tribe that you can then lean into? So if it's sustainability, then finding who are the either sustainability influencers or blogs or podcasts that you can go out to and reach that audience with the message, see what's resonating, see what's not resonating, be able to test that. And then get some of those organic customers coming in as well, you know, with your 100 email addresses and build that up. And then you're right, building those retargeting audiences in Facebook are hugely important. And those are really helpful to building that audience and building the ones that are going to convert for you.
1: So you mentioned before that there was the notion of search as opposed to social and how social has started to capture some of the search budget that has happened, which to me is indicating that people are now starting to browse and discover and make more impulse purchases in fashion and retail, as opposed to directly look for specific products. Am I thinking about that the right way? Is that actually a trend that's happening? Or am I just reading too much into what you said?
2: You're definitely reading that correctly, because I think where people are going out to get their inspiration has changed. You're not just going in and searching for, you know, best dresses for New Year's Eve you're out there looking at what influencers are wearing and what's going on in your social feed. So being able to be there at that moment of inspiration versus, you know, it's kind of a little further down the funnel. It actually is kind of moved over into Facebook and social. So being able to be there and like I said, give those moments of inspiration at that time are hugely important.
1: So the other day I was placing a Facebook ad and for no reason whatsoever, my account was shut off. Let's say this happens to a retail brand, for what it's worth. It was a billing issue when the account was turned back on. I'm a retail brand. All of a sudden, I don't have access to Facebook and Instagram. What's the go-to-market strategy? What are the other marketing channels that you should rely on if you are a, let's say, a growth stage company, not necessarily just my friend's startup, but what are some of the other great marketing channels for fashion and retail?
2: Yeah, I mean, video is huge. So YouTube, Pinterest, obviously, is another great one to be out there. You've got the kind of rise of TikTok going on right now, depending on your target demographic. So those are areas where you can reach your customer depending on who she is. But yeah, there's a lot of people spending a ton of time on Facebook and Instagram. So I'd try not to screw that one up (laughs) if you don't want to.
1: Make sure that you don't let your credit card lapse and have that being the one that's billed on Facebook. That's my big advice for you. So you mentioned before that influencers are, well, increasingly influential in retail and fashion. Talk to me about some of the ways that you recommend brands not only figure out who their influencers should be, who resonates with their tribe, but also how do you structure and manage those relationships?
2: There's some great tools that are out there for you know mass influencer programs, but I think for smaller brands, just seeing who are the people who are organic influencers. And that's the way with some of the brands that I've worked with, that we've found some of our bigger influencers who were girls in high school who started you know posting about the brand, not even being paid. And then seeing that they're following and how much traffic they're getting on the posts with our tags. So those were some of the ways that we organically kind of started and were able to find these influencers who really cared about the brand and were really connected with it, not just going out and trying to recruit influencers who you think might be interested or not. But then there are you know, some of the social media management tools have great ways to find influencers who have your target audience. And I think it's also important that people really look at the quality of the followers of the influencers they're using and understand what those are, where they are, and who they are. And if you're building your brand in the U.S., your influencer who has a million followers, are they U.S. followers? Are those international followers? Who are the engaged ones? So making sure that you have a good understanding of that And then structuring the relationships, I mean, across the board, some have been kind of per post or per event, but the best ones have been more longer term relationships, where whether that's six months or a year, and then having a contract in place of how many posts is it going to be, what kind of events are going to happen, and making sure that you're both managing to that. And a lot of times what you'd find is that you actually get a little bit extra from a brand because if you keep your influencers really happy and really engaged, they really are fans of the brand and want to do great things for you. So that's been one of the things that we've done in managing those uh, relationships.
1: So when you start to think about working with businesses at scale, you're investing and advising at this point going from hey my friend is launching an early stage company and looking for her first customers to all right a brand that's the, you know the size of urban outfitters and eddie bauer and windsor what are some of the hurdles that you need to overcome to get to scale it seems like things are relatively simple at the small stage build some products run your facebook ads know your audience find your influencers I'm sure it's more complicated when you're working with a marketing team that's hundreds of people and an organization that's international. What are some of the challenges that you face when you start to get to larger points of scale?
2: A few things. I think some of the earlier growth can be a bit easier as you're going from zero to you know, 10,000 is a lot easier than going to 10,000 to 10 million. So I think continuing the growth when you've got a larger base is one of the things that's challenging because you've got to work with larger and larger, whether it's influencers, you've got to spend more to get in front of customers. So that's one of the things that's challenging. I think the complexity can sometimes get a bit challenging for folks as well as now you're really getting deep into each one of the channels.
1: I think where it gets complex is you start to hit saturation in some important channels. So you need to diversify, but then you run into problems when you're diversifying channels with your analytics and, you know, more money, more problems. So I understand that what you're saying in the sense of, look, growth at the earlier stages is relatively simple. You know, you got to have a compelling product and understand who your target market is. But when you start to get to the point of scale, what are some of the problems that you run into?
2: Yeah, I think one of the challenges can be where you get into some level of saturation in the channels that you're in and you know some of the people you might be working with and then going to find those other channels to fill in that additional volume that you're looking to drive, which can be harder. So I think that's where it can be simple to go from small growth to medium growth. And then you get that large, trying to get that flywheel going at a much larger scale when you're already saturating in the places that you're at can be more difficult.
1: It's a lot easier to get a high school girl with 10,000 followers to talk about your brand, but when you're at the point of scale and you're starting to work with, you know, a Kardashian, it might require a little bit more legwork to get those relationships established and to get them to be published. I guess the last question I have for you, it seems like in retail and fashion. My wife works for a big box retail company, and one of the things that we talk about is that for the big companies, it's really difficult to sort of defend their base. It seems like it's a lot easier for upstart companies to develop a product, maybe something that's a little bit more niche, find a target market, work with some influencers, run some Facebook ads, and now all of a sudden you're getting, you know, my favorite brand, Miles Apparel, is competing with Patagonia, right? And there's no real difference between these brands or Eddie Bauer as an example, right? They're a men's fitness brand and there's nothing that's stopping them from competing head to head with some of the bigger players in the industry because they don't really need to worry about all the things that would have stopped them before, which was really just space in the mall. So talk to me about how you think about the overall landscape when it comes to upstart brands as opposed to established brands. Are you seeing the same type of mix that I'm seeing?
2: Definitely. And you know, brand loyalty is continuing to erode. You know, People are more open to finding new things. And also, there's more of a sense of discovery of finding the new brand and the new thing that's exciting that's out there. From a marketing perspective, there's the marketing side of it is continue to engage your existing customers and engage them in new ways that whether it's uh, channels and content and keep things exciting for them. But also, I think it goes back to brand and having something that you really stand for and that people really buy into and want to remain loyal so that you're not just having people, your brand eroded by all these new companies that are coming up. And I think some of the great ones that you look out there, Patagonia is one that you mentioned, they're operating at a significant scale. You look at some of the biggest ones like Nike, who has managed to really keep things exciting and keep innovating. And whether it's within product, within the marketing, within the channels, how they're engaging with people, things like the Nike running club app. there are ways that you can keep engaging your customer and keep your brand fresh and keep innovating. And I think that's one of the challenges that we all have to try to figure out as we're building these brands and scaling them.
1: I think the retail and fashion industry is incredibly interesting, not only because the way that we think about brands is changing, the way that we engage with those brands, but also, you know, some of the technical challenge that we face and who we're working with, how we discover brands. It seems like the entire landscape has changed. Steve, I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us a little bit about your views of the landscape.
2: Always great talking to you, Ben. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Steve Hartman, digital and retail executive, advisor, and investor for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Steve, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter. His handle is s hartman 32 That's S-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-3-2.